You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Y'all go ahead and grab a seat. Man, if you are not pumped up after that worship set and you're a Christian, you have permission to right now go and just drink all that coffee because like something's wrong, okay? Like we need to wake up in here if that doesn't get you fired up. Man, so, so good. Um, man, a, a pleasure to be in worship with you guys this morning on this Easter Sunday and to talk about, think about the greatest story ever told, the, the greatest narrative that the world has ever known. You know, our world is surrounded with so many different stories, different narratives, and, and all of them, or yeah, all of them, apart from this story we're talking about today and singing about, ultimately lead to disappointment. They, they don't actually, they can't actually hold hope. They don't hold water, so to speak. They're not gonna last. And we set our hopes in so many things, and we think there's a bright future ahead, and the next thing we know, what we placed our hope in is going and like signing a contract at the University of Texas. You know what I'm saying? Like, ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. <laughs> but seriously, hopefully Chris Beard isn't in here this morning. If so, sorry, bro. <laughs> but seriously, everything in life that we put our hope in is like that. It's not gonna last. Except for, for the one story, the gospel. Gospel means good news. The story of Jesus is good news. That's why we're here singing this morning. That's why we're here worshiping this morning. He's the only one worthy of worship. He is, Jesus is good news. The fact that he saw our brokenness and didn't say, well, better luck next year. Hope you figure it out. No, but saw our brokenness and sin, left heaven's throne, came and lived a perfectly obedient life, a sinless life, a life that you and I should live, but can't live and don't even try to live most of the time, came and lived that life and then willingly went to the cross to die in our place, to die the death that we deserve. And three days later, he rose up out of the grave. And in so doing, conquered sin, conquered Satan, defeated the grave, defeated death. And by the way, (laughs) secured salvation, made a way for forgiveness and made hope an actual reality, something that we can actually experience because Jesus is alive. Hope is found in him and nothing else. Him alone. He secures hope. Everything else will let us down. Now, as Christians, we, we talk about hope, but I don't think we always are aware of what we mean by hope and that it's found in Christ like, and in what those hopes, plural, are. So hope is the expectation of something to be fulfilled. So something that is desired or, or promised, we expect and know as believers that it will be fulfilled. Well, the cross, and I should say the empty grave of Jesus Christ secures the promises of God. So those things that we long for because they're talked about in scripture and those things that God has promised, they are secure. We know they, they're not already yet. They will be a reality one day because Jesus has risen. He's alive. So he secures the promises of God. We could spend the whole day, we're not going to, don't worry. We could spend the whole day talking about what are the hopes that we have in Christ as believers. So because Jesus is alive, what are the hopes that we have? We can, we can, we can list them forever. We're only gonna take a look at three today. So again, not a comprehensive list, but three of the hopes that we have that we can, I wanna say, enjoy 
in Jesus Christ. You should enjoy hope, right? When someone has hope, it's not like, hope's the worst, gosh. Like, no, hope is, man, hopeful, I enjoy it. So it's not just that we possess it as believers, not just that we have it. What are the hopes that we enjoy as believers? Here's the first one I want you to see. Because Jesus is alive, you can enjoy the hope of him finishing what he started in you. We're gonna have it on the screen so you guys can write it down. Because Jesus is alive, you can enjoy the hope of him finishing what he started in you. Now, you know what? I'm not just telling you that. That's what the Bible says. And that's what you should care about. Not what Hazelnut, what Brandon says. But what does the Bible say? Turn to Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter one. If you gotta use table of contents, no shame there. Philippians chapter one. We're gonna be in several different passages today and so I'm gonna be kind of flipping around and invite you to do the same. Philippians chapter one. I'm gonna go ahead and read I know some of you guys are still writing, but that's okay. I'm gonna read it so you can hear it. I'm gonna start in verse three. I give, this is Paul talking to the, the believers at Philippi, church at Philippi. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. In verse six, here's one I want you to see. I am sure of this. It says, you can take this to the bank. That he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It says, what God started in you, he's going to finish. God is not into unfinished projects. How many, how many of us right now, we have unfinished projects at the dorm or the apartment or at the house, right? Like, man, things I gotta work on. Like maybe as a, as a husband, I see some guys raising their hand, you got some honeydews, right? Some things you need to work on, whatever it is. God is not gonna leave you unfinished. He's going to finish the work he started. I'm gonna unpack that more in a second. I want you to turn to, uh, sorry, 1 Thessalonians, just a little bit over. So you got Philippians, Colossians, and then 1 Thessalonians, so just a few pages over, and look at chapter five, 1 Thessalonians chapter five. Verse 23 is where I'm gonna start. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Sanctify, sanctification, the word meaning the process of being made holy, the process of becoming less like yourself and more like Jesus. It says, God, the God of peace, he himself will sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will do it. He's saying, God, who saved you, you didn't save yourself, again, he's the one that ripped the curtain apart like we talked about last week. You, couldn't, you didn't start it for him, you couldn't do it yourself. He made a way for you to be saved. He saved you and he's gonna sanctify you. He's gonna make you more like Jesus and he's gonna bring that work to a completed work. And at the day of Jesus Christ, when he comes again, at that moment, we'll be glorified Meaning we'll, at that point, be made perfectly just like Christ. Meaning we won't have a sin nature anymore. He's gonna finish his work of making us into the image of Jesus Christ. That's good news. I don't, I don't wanna like scare anybody or shock y'all anybody because anybody, I'm a pastor, but like, 
I, I still struggle with sin. <gasps> Am I the only one? <laughs> no, I, I know I'm not. <laughs> Think about that. There's gonna come a day where your struggle with sin and your hypocrisy and up and down and your emotions or commitment to Christ or whatever will no longer be a thing. <laughs> Praise God. There'll be a day where that struggle with lust will be no more. That struggle with anger will be no more. That struggle with self-centeredness and pride or insecurity, which are just the same thing, but different sides of the coin, that struggle will be no more. That struggle with controlling your mouth and always saying the wrong thing, you should hold it in, but you can't, that struggle will be no more. He's going to finish what he started in you. That's a promise, that's a hope we have that we can take to the bank. He's gonna finish. This is a boat, a little, a little boat. They call it the Jesus boat because they found this boat, not this boat, this is a replica. You're like, Jesus is way smaller than I thought. <laughs> um, they found this boat, uh, the Sea of Galilee, and it dates back to the time of Christ, again, what this boat is a replica of. Um, and so it's possible that, kind of cool, that Jesus could even rode in that boat with the disciples at some point. Interesting. But I have this up here because it was carved by men in Israel. I think about even with this little simple boat that they just sold in a gift shop at the Sea of Galilee, <laughs> like the man sitting there and carving on this boat and working on it. The, the piece of wood did not know that it was being carved, right? But the man who carved it certainly did. <laughs> Jesus is carving on you and he's not gonna finish until the work is complete. He's not gonna give up. He's not gonna quit on you, so don't quit on him. <laughs> as long as God's working on you, which he's not gonna quit working on you, as long as he's working on you, you should keep waiting. <laughs> he's not gonna quit. I'm gonna kind of switch metaphors here this morning for a second. Think about Throughout scripture, a common metaphor is agriculture and, and trees and plants, very common throughout scripture. And so I wanna kind of lean into that for a second. Think about uh, if you were to walk outside your house, it's a little weird, I know, but you're used to that by now if you come here often. <laughs> if you walk outside your house and you heard a tree in your front yard talking, and we'll just call this tree bro, okay? Because I like the word bro. <laughs> and this tree is in your front yard. And as you walk out, check the mail, whatever, the tree's like, it's, I'm just not really growing right now. And it's like I'm stuck in the same place. I'm not really bearing fruit. And I just, it's been, a, I don't think I've grown but like an inch in the past seven years. You may, in this really weird scenario, you may would say, bro, this is a process. And you can't see yourself growing but bro, if I showed you a picture of when you were planted and showed you a picture of how you've grown now, man, you've grown. But bro, the more you stress about am I growing and the more you look at yourself, the more it's gonna prevent you from growing. Because Mr. Brother Tree, you can't make yourself grow. It's God's goodness of the, the rain and the sun and the soil that helps you grow. So you just need to be and trust that you're gonna grow. 
What I'm trying to tell you is I'm not talking about we don't try to grow in Christ, but the reality is the more that you look at yourself and man, am I growing? Am, 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 I, am I being what I should be? The more that you just navel gaze, the less you're actually gonna go and grow in Christ. The way you grow in Christ is not to grovel about how worthless and pathetic and sinful you are, but rather to gaze at Jesus Christ, to dig your roots down deep into his love and his grace and his mercy and into his word and into prayer and into church community and fellowship and to, to turn your gaze up towards the son, Jesus Christ. And as you do that, he is the one who grows you. But man, I'm just like, that, that other Christian over there, they produce so much fruit and it's so beautiful and it has all these, all these leaves in the fall and in the spring that come out and Jesus may say, you, say to you, hey, sometimes the prettiest trees are the messiest trees. Like, I'm not looking for flash, I'm looking for faithfulness. He is going to grow you. If you are in Christ, if you know Jesus, because he's alive, you can enjoy the hope of him finishing what he started in you. He's not done, so don't give up on him. Here's the cool thing. When you really embrace that truth and begin to rest and man, yeah, I'm gonna pursue him, but he's growing me. He's the one that's changing me and I can, I can have hope in that he's gonna finish what he started. As you do that, you begin to experience what Timothy calls, excuse me, um, Timothy Keller calls the joy of self-forgetfulness. You begin to get off of yourself and focusing on yourself and begin to focus on God and what he's doing in the lives of other people. And particularly that just as God saved you and is going to finish what he started in you, he planted you, he's gonna see you grow up. In the same way, he wants to do that same work in other people, which is awesome. Here's the second hope. Because Jesus is alive, you can enjoy the hope of him saving people. Because Jesus is alive, you can enjoy the hope of him saving people. That he is powerful enough to redeem people just like he was powerful enough to redeem you. Now, I wanna lean, this maybe seems like a weird point for Easter, but that's kind of intentional. How many of us as Christians actually walk in the hope that God wants to save the people I encounter. That God, when I go to the store, or I go to the mall or go wherever, go to work, that God wants to save these people that I encounter. That he wants to do the work in me and through me and, and in them to save them. Let's lean into this. So you know I'm not making this up. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Very familiar passage, but it doesn't hurt to lay our eyes on it. Matthew 28, we're gonna be in verse 18. Matthew 28, 18. So Jesus died, he rose again, talking to the disciples. He says, it says, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, how does it begin? All authority has been given to me. So because he rose from the grave, all authority is his. He owns it, he rules it all. He's in charge, he's the king. If the king who rose from the grave 
tells us to go and make disciples, do you think that is a mission that is just hopeless and powerless? No! <laughs> if the King of Kings, Jesus Christ says, hey, we're gonna go and take the gospel to the world, go to the world, to the world, go and make disciples, he's not like, <laughs> Jesus didn't ascend to heaven and like with the Father and the Holy Spirit and he's like, oh bro, we roasted them so good, they don't even know, they can't do this, there's no hope for them. No! <laughs> Jesus sends us on a mission, it's because there's power to actually carry out the mission. Anybody there? Romans 1, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation. This is not a mamby-pamby weak gospel like, well, maybe just God will save you. No, there's power for God to save you because he got out of the grave. If he was still in the grave, we would not be here talking about this today. We would not be excited about anything and we would just be like, well, maybe people can try to be good. No, because he got out of the grave, there is power and when you share the gospel, there is hope for people's lives to be changed. Just like there was hope for your life to be changed by the power of the gospel. So because it's powerful, because Jesus made a way for us to, to have the righteousness of God placed on us because he bore our sin and then put his righteousness, right standing with God on us, and we receive it by grace through faith. Because of that, there's power in the gospel. And so when we go and tell other people about it, we go not just like, well, they're not gonna hear this. They're not gonna be changed. No, we go and say, you know what? God is a powerful mountain moving God. He rolled the stone away. He can roll, he can roll away their dead, cold heart and putting them, put in them a living, breathing heart of flesh where they can have a relationship with God. God can do anything. I think so often as believers, we, we think about sharing the gospel and, and we look at someone's life and it looks, we just see, because everybody apart from Christ is a broken kind of rubble of mess, <laughs> pile of mess. And we, we look at them and we think of the gospel and we think of it as like we have this shovel. And like, I'm gonna pray for them. I'm gonna share the gospel with them. And I'm hoping maybe I can just kind of scoop some of this bad stuff away and maybe God will change their life. And we often, we just don't even begin to go share the gospel because it looks like too much work or we start digging and start talking to them about Christ and we quickly are like, man, this isn't gonna work. They're too much of a mess. And we throw our shovel down. And what Romans 1 is telling us in Romans 28, kind of metaphorically here, is that Jesus is actually saying, hey, hey brother, hey sister, you don't have a shovel. We actually have a bulldozer. <laughs> the power of the gospel can move any hindrance in their life and change their life. So if you would just maybe crank up the engine a little bit, it's go time. <laughs> the gospel is powerful. There's hope that he will change lives. So we should share the gospel. <laughs> As believers, we don't go around, by the way, every day is an Easter kind of Sunday. Every, every day is an Easter kind of day if you're a believer. We don't go around like, well, man, this world is broken and just hopeless. No, this world is broken, but this world is full of hope because we serve a risen savior who has all authority. So we go in confidence and hope. And yes, some people are gonna re reject him for sure, but Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but what? The workers are few. He's saying, hey, there's power. I, I'm ready to save some people. Would you, would you get serious about actually using the power of the gospel and go share the gospel? It's a powerful gospel. Well, I don't know, man. I've been, I've been praying for them for a long time and it, it just seems hopeless. Listen, as long as Jesus is alive and 
he's alive and he's not going back to the grave. As long as he's alive, there's hope for whoever you're praying for. Man, they just, this person, Brandon, you don't know, like they hate Jesus. Like they, they're mad that I, I even invited them to Easter services and they don't want to hear anything about it. Listen, Jesus encountered a man named Saul who was killing Christians and just like that turned Saul's life around. He became Paul. <laughs> no one is too far gone for the saving power of Jesus Christ. And we, we share the gospel with hope. And listen here, some of you this morning, you don't know Christ and you've, I'm too broken. You're not too broken for Jesus. He can save you no matter how far you think you may be from him. He left heaven's throne to come and, and save you. No one is too far gone for the grace of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is alive, you can enjoy the hope of him saving people. There's so much hope. What is he, what is he saving people from? From this broken world and, and from eternity in a place called hell. Here's the third hope I want us to see. Because Jesus is alive, you can enjoy the hope of heaven. Because Jesus is alive, you can enjoy the hope of heaven. Y'all, this broken world, thank God, is not as good as it gets. Oh, we can do better than that. <laughs> like, <laughs> thank you, little guy or girl, whoever that was. <laughs> little person. <laughs> Turn to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. Start in verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Man, y'all long for that day? No more death? No more grief? No more crying, crying caused by rejection? being stuck in a rut in your life and hating yourself. No more crying because of loss of a loved one. No more crying because you didn't get the position you always longed to have. No more, cry, no more crying because your broken, flawed, sick body. <laughs> no more pain. Seems like I'm only 35, so I'm still a young one, but like every year, more aware of how 
broken and like hopeless this world is. Y'all with me on that? See, scripture doesn't lie about the brokenness of this earth. It says, yeah, it's broken. And Jesus said, I've prepared a place for you. No, no eye has seen it. No mind has comprehended what God has prepared for those who love him. I love what 1 Thessalonians 4 says that when we lose loved ones, we don't grieve as those who have no hope because we have the hope of Jesus. Think about that. It, what it's describing here in heaven, Satan will have finally and forever been vanquished, completely conquered. Praise God. Think about it. There'll be a day where you don't have to get a call and realize, man, that best friend that I went to high school with or college or used to work with, man, Satan just got him in a mess. Like he's been given into sin. Dude, he's totally destroyed his life. Man, I long for that day. Think about that day where you don't have to wake up and hear the whispers of the enemy of, man, how could God love you? You're just broken. Man, are you sure you did that right? Are you sure you're doing, are you sure you're being as, God, as awesome as God wants you to be? No more lies from the enemy. No more lies of, man, your situation is just hopeless. Like, how could God even want to do anything with your life? No more, no more temptation. Satan will finally and forever be gone. Hallelujah. Man. It's gonna be amazing. You know, this world is, even for believers, can be really dark sometimes. I was talking to a gentleman after the last service and his wife's uh, father passed away recently and we were having a cool moment just kind of thinking about how even as Christians, this world can be dark and confusing. One time I had an opportunity to go on a mission trip to, uh, to Afri- Togo, Africa, and we got there about 11.30 or so at night and got to the airport and a team of about, I think, 12 of us and got in these vans and rode out to the middle of, of nowhere. Uh, Togo's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's a very small country. Um, but we, we get to this lake and by this point, it's about 12.30, maybe, maybe one in the morning. And uh, it's this big lake that separates where we're at from Togoville, where it was our final destination, where there's a hotel and stuff like that. And um, it, is, it was pitch black at this lake because there's nothing out there literally nothing, pitch black. And I've done a little research and so I'm aware that there are crocodiles and things like that in the lake. And so at one in the morning, we were just really excited to get on the lake. You know what I mean? <laughs> Not really, actually, it was kind of terrifying. So we, we load up in these uh, canoes and they have, instead of like a paddle, they had this, it was really cool, this massive like 15 foot long, maybe taller stick that they, uh, our guide was in the front of the boat and he would just push it all the way down to the bottom of the lake. And, and that's how it would propel us forward. But it's interesting, as we got out on the lake, as dark and literally scary as it was, and like, dude, I don't know where we're at, what we're doing, it's pitch black. Like you could, I have videos where you could not see the person across from you. Like my wife, Lauren, was with us and like couldn't see her sitting across just on the little canoe. But you, you know what kept us okay, you know what kept us like hopeful? (laughs) Was that our guide had been to the other side 
and he knew how to get us there. And while we were clueless where we were on this lake, he knew exactly where we were. Where we weren't sure, like, what should we be worried about in the water? He had it under control. So it was kind of like, even though it was kind of scary, we had this peace about us and this hope about us of he's gonna get us where we're going. He says it's a better place. We're gonna take his word for it. That's better than a crocodile infested lake in the middle of the night. (laughs) We're gonna keep our eyes on him. You know, as a believer, this world is dark. But if you are in Christ, he's been where we're going and he's gonna get us there. And as dark and as confusing and as scary as this world can be, if you'll keep your eyes on him, you can enjoy the hope of heaven. That this world is not the best there is. And that this broken, scary, confusing world is not how it ends for the believer. But we get to go into eternity in heaven with Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, because Jesus is alive, you can enjoy the hope of him finishing what he started in you. You can enjoy the hope of him saving people. And certainly you can enjoy the hope of heaven. Now, so many of us in this room, we hear those, those three points and probably a lot of us like, yeah, I'm tracking with that. Like, makes sense, understand that, all good. But if we're honest, probably a lot of us would say, I get it, but I don't experience that hope. There's a difference in like, okay, I'm tracking with that. I took some notes. There's a difference in that and actually every day experiencing and walking in real living hope. When I uh, graduated, um, we wouldn't normally do a trip like this, but it was, we were excited when I finished my doctorate. Lauren and I went, uh, I graduated from a school in California, Biola. And uh, when I graduated, we, our parents had come with us. Uh, it's kind of weird. Our parents as in-laws actually get along. It's awesome. Um, we even like going on trips together. Uh, but they were with us and I graduated from uh, a school near LA, but we, we traveled up the coast eventually and we got to San Francisco and had a good time in San Francisco. Um, but it just, I don't know, it, it was like, it was a good end of the trip. It, it wasn't everything maybe we hoped it would be. Well, on our second to last day, my wife, Lauren, I don't know why we hadn't done this before, but she looked up the map and realized we were about four hours from Yosemite, which we were in this battle of like, man, that's a long ways away, but dadgummit, we live in Texas, four hours ain't nothing, right? Like, we can do this. So we, we did, we made the decision, the, like, the very uh, intentional, determined decision, took some effort to get up really early. I think we left at uh, 4.30 or 5 that, that next morning and drove four hours to Yosemite, spent a couple hours and came back. But let me tell you, it was 100% absolutely worth it. We got to Yosemite and even just the drive was breathtaking. Like, I, I love Lubbock. We're Lubbockites now. This is home, but I, it, it was pretty, okay? Like, it, I mean, I know we have good, good sunsets, but I'm just saying, this was, like, we actually crossed this bridge and you can look out into like kind of the main entrance. My words aren't justifying or doing it justice, but into the main entrance. And there's like three or four waterfalls that we can count just from looking off in the distance. El Capitan, however you say it, and um, Half Dome. It was amazing. So we eventually drive down into Yosemite, I guess up into Yosemite, and we walk about a mile hike to Yosemite uh, Falls, the waterfall, and we had gone at just the right season. Actually, one of the, the um, that had a ton of rainfall that year, so it was one of the, or snow, so it was one of the peak seasons or uh, years of, of the power of the waterfalls, meaning that the waterfall had so much water, it was amazing. So 
we get, we walk up to Yosemite Falls and even from probably the back where the cross is back there to that wall there, from that distance, you feel like the earth is shaking. I'm sure it wasn't, but it's that loud. It's that, that powerful. You feel like it's kind of in your bones. Like, man, this is a huge waterfall. And as we got a little closer, maybe from where I'm at to the, there, maybe not even that close. It's been a while. The waterfall was so big and so powerful that there was just this kind of mist that enveloped you where you were. So people were beginning, even though we're, however far that is from the waterfall, people were beginning to put on rain jackets and ponchos and umbrellas because there's so much mist coming off this waterfall. I mean, the, the rest of the way back, hiking back to our vehicle and then driving the four hours back to San Francisco, all we could talk about was how beautiful it was, how life-changing, how amazing it was. And we were so grateful that we decided not to settle for San Francisco. And San Francisco is cool, we're not hating on it, but it did not compare to the waterfall. It took work, it took effort, it took some determination of, man, we're gonna go and enjoy this. But we kind of made up our minds of like, if Yosemite's that close, if it's that available, let's just do it. So many of us in this morning as believers, in here this morning as believers, you're not walking in the experience and the enjoyment of the hope that Christ has made possible for you because you're not willing to make the effort to go and set your gaze on him. Too many of us are satisfied and content just with the things of this world, San Francisco, so to speak. We're so discontent and seduced by the things of this world and we're too lazy to say, you know what? There's something better that Christ has offered. There's more hope in him. Actually, none of the things the world has to offer can actually give me lasting hope. I'm gonna go and set my hope on Jesus Christ, the one who will never, ever let me down. See, hope is not found in a circumstance or in a situation. Hope is in is found in one person, his name is Jesus Christ. So maybe you this morning as a believer need to say, man, I've been kind of caught up and seduced with the things of this world and, and those things keep letting me down. There's no hope in them. And this morning realize that Jesus is majestic and powerful and nothing compares to him. And you need to say, hey, I'm gonna start making the decision to set my focus on Jesus Christ, to set my hope on him, to pursue him and not the things of this world. You can't pursue the things of this world and try to find your hope in them and then be upset that I don't feel like Jesus is really, I don't feel hope and I, I don't get to experience that. <laughs> Make the decision to embrace, to enjoy what he's made available to you. If you're not walking in hope, it's not because it's not available, it's because you're not willing to go and walk in it. Hope is found in Jesus alone. So as we respond, there's really two responses. The first is for the believer, and I think every believer should probably respond this way, not probably, should. Even the apostle Paul in Philippians 3 said, man, I wanna press on to know Christ more. I wanna really lean into him being my all and becoming like him and finding my hope in him to press on. So as believers, you're in group number one that your response this morning is to say, you know what? I need to press on to, to fix my eyes on Jesus, to find my hope in him, not the things of this world. I love what John Piper says that, this life is too short, precious, and painful to waste it on bubbles that burst. <laughs> so set your eyes on the majestic Christ whose hope will never let you down. So this morning as a believer, maybe uh, after our prayer, we're gonna have some folks, uh, several folks, men and women down at the front. Maybe you need to come and just pray with one of them and say, hey, I need to really set my focus on Jesus, my hope on him and, and 
realize that all of hope rests in him, would you just pray for me? They would love to pray with you. Maybe as a believer, you need to come down front and just take a knee at the altar and just say, God, would you help turn my heart to you and for me to begin to enjoy and experience the hope I have in you and quit wasting hope on the foolish things of this world. All of us need to do that, whether it's down front or talking with someone or in our chair or standing, we need to do that as a believer. All of us can, can turn our gaze more towards Christ. Some of you this morning, you're in group two, that you don't know Christ. The reality is that good people don't go to heaven. Only those that go to heaven are those who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ. And this morning, Jesus offers you to come to him. If you'll simply turn from your sin and turn to him for salvation and, and believe that he died the death that you deserve to die and that he rose again and said, Jesus, would you be in charge of my life? I confess you as Lord. I wanna to surrender to you. When you do that, just as sure as Jesus rose from the grave, you will be saved. He will save you. So there'll be people down front again. You can come and talk to one of them and say, man, I'm ready to trust Christ for salvation. Man, we'll, we will rejoice with you. And if I get to say this real quick, you can help me here. We're trying to change this culture in a lot of Baptist churches of we all stand there and if man, someone walks down front, ooh man, they must be really sinful or they're getting saved, that's the only option. <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous. I'm not trying to get everybody to come down front every Sunday, that would be ridiculous too. But what if we created a culture that said, man, if God's tugging on my heart at all and he's really speaking to me today like in a, in a fresh way that maybe is a little abnormal, man, I'm gonna walk down front, I'm gonna pray and kind of solidify in my heart what God is doing. We wanna create that culture. You know what's cool too is when you do that, you help people who are more nervous or maybe those who don't know Christ and wanna pray to, to receive Christ, you help them be a little more bold to walk forward too. So let's get rid of this, that's only for the really bad people attitude. I mean, let's be bold to respond to Christ. Does that make sense? I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna sing and we're gonna respond. Jesus, thank you for the blood. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for love. Thank you for hope made possible by the empty grave. God, would you help believers this morning to be bold to respond and to, to realize, man, I've been settling for the hope that this world offers and it's a waste. <laughs> and they would choose to begin to find their hope in you and what you've made available to them. And God, I pray that you would draw people to yourself this morning. Those who don't know you would turn to you for salvation. God, that as we sing this song, we would respond boldly, but also, Lord, that we would sing and we would mean what we say. We would, we would rejoice in the words that we sing. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church.